Hello, and today I am joined by Rod Thornley, who is soft tissue therapist. So, Rod, I've come across you a couple of times when you, in your previous roles, um, but I'm looking forward to finding out a bit more about you. So, thank you for joining. No problem. Nice and nice to meet you. Nice to uh, have a chat with you. No problem. So, yeah, you've been requested by a couple of people, so don't feel the pressure that um, you've got to come up with any really, you know, fascinating stories. But I'm sure, I'm sure we will do anyway. <laughs> I've got a few. Nothing for public viewing, though, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I've got some good ones. So, Rod, like, where are you from originally? So I'm a Salford lad, um, uh, raised in Salford um, with my brother and my sister. Um, big United fans back in the day. Um, um, and my brother ended up playing for him magically, you know what I mean? And we just always were in and around football then from there. So, yeah... Uh remember your brother really good player uh, and like but in terms of you guys growing up then was football was that something that you were just doing all day in day out well I mean it was I was always into my computers as well I was a geek and uh, the old ZX Spectrum and all that sort of stuff but when you've got a brother who's one two years older and we we're both quite decent at the game you know it, it, we always played football in the garden all the time so yeah we smashed a few windows and a few glass houses over the years yeah and so like how quickly did it become apparent then that like United had a massive, really strong youth setup that was probably coming through around about that time? So what was that like then in terms of the prospect of that happening? Was the process, were you, were you how involved were you in it? And like, You know what, I, I wasn't involved in it in any shape or form. And the first I think I really knew of it, I've come home from school, I think it was a Friday afternoon. And so Alex is sat in my front, front room with Brian Kidd. And I've walked past the window and I've seen him going, oh my God, that's Man United's manager, what's he doing in my house? And at the time, my brother was at City and he was playing as an under-14 or under-15 at City. And uh, basically, Man United snaps him up from them. Right, so that wasn't something that was, was anyone in the family expecting that? Well, obviously, my mum and dad had obviously had the, they'd been having the chats and stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it was surreal, weird, like, but... And that's what it was, and he and Ben ended up. I mean, he spent eight years playing for Man, Man United. He made his debut when he was eighteen, and his, I think the last game was when he was twenty-three for him. So yeah, he was there not quite a while. And then, in terms of what what you were doing at that time, in terms of like where were you playing? Because you were a decent player as well. So I, I crazy this really, but I was playing like obviously just Sunday Sunday football until I was like thirteen or fourteen, and then my team disbanded. And I stopped playing football uh, and ended up travelling around the country watching my brother. So I didn't find myself a club. I mean, mum and dad didn't really push me to get a club because I think it was a bit inconvenient because they were following Ben everywhere. And I ended up just travelling all around the country. So, that you know, the really important years of a footballer where you've, you've got clubs looking at you and picking you up. I missed them. So I didn't play football during that time, only for my school and that's it. And uh, I actually didn't start playing football again until I was 17 in the local youth league. And then from there, I went into non-league after that. It's so I missed the really important years. Yeah, it really is. It is one of them you think what could have been like, but I mean, I did have offers from from professional clubs into like, like eight years later when I was 23, 24. But by then I'd always started working for Man United and started working for England. So I wasn't, it was, I couldn't really take that plunge. Right, yeah. So, what do you? How do you see it then? Because you've got that extreme where you've obviously you've been you've lost lost out maybe, but then you see it now where kids are getting picked up at like 
before they're even 10, like younger than that. I mean, it's, it is ridiculous the, the age that the kids are getting picked up at. And I, I, if we're going to go into it properly, we, we have to mention money and the age some of these kids are actually getting through into 16, 17 now on, on filthy amounts of money. And most of them will actually never step, step foot on the first team football pitch. And it's just hard watching these kids do that, especially because they become entitled because they've got this money and they don't they don't think they have to work hard for it. Whereas back in the day when my brother and that sort of and the gigs isn't that lot, they didn't get massive money, but they, they knew how to work hard and, they, and their work ethic was amazing. Now, yeah, there's obviously players out there now that, that they've still got a great work ethic, but I think if you're handing a kid at, at Chelsea or at City at 16 years old, 10, 15 grand a week, they they're not going to work as hard as someone who's on £250 a week, you know what I mean? Because they'll want it more. And, and I just find that, I found that, especially over the years at Man United, the, the, the ones who were coming in on, on the bigger money, yeah, they're, the bit, they're supposed to be the bigger talent, but they didn't have that hunger. Mm, yeah, no, it does seem absolutely crazy now. Like, you see, even, like, going out and playing, because I'm probably similar similar age group to, to you in that. And like used to go out and play all the time. And even the players that were a decent level, like Clint Hill was in my school and he was playing with us all yeah. the time. And then, yeah, he goes on to play in the Premier League and so on. But now it's just a complete, you wouldn't even get any sniff of that sort of thing now. No, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so in terms of like you then, then, so like for when you... What what happened to you then? What was your career path then? So you following oh, your brother? What were you doing? I, at the time? Li- I literally, I'm not gonna lie. I was a bum. Like I was, I went to college, was hating it. I hated. I didn't like school. Went to college, didn't enjoy it. Like learning wasn't my thing. I, I wasn't thick. I was intelligent. I was a was quite a bright student, but I just didn't want to do it. And I, I wasn't bone idleness. I just I would rather have got money and went out and and been able to enjoy my life. So I quit, I quit college and went to um, started working local leisure centre as a lifeguard, and um, from there I did that for a few years. And then by by chance, I mean, obviously with my brother being in class of '92, I knew very well the players like Keith Gillespie, Gary Neville, Phil Neville. Um, they always used to go out together as a group. Bex as well with um, with Chris Casper. Because we had quite a sizable house back in Salford, so I knew all these lads quite well. And then when Man United opened Carrington's training centre in 2000, they had a pool there. And out of the blue, I got a phone call from Rob Swire, the head physio. And he just said, um, would you like to come down and be the lifeguard? Now, I was on a 39-hour week working for local leisure centres, and he just said, like, we'll give you a couple of hours a day. So I took the gamble, quit my job, and went there. And honestly, within four or five weeks, Robert said to me, we haven't actually got, as Man United, a qualified masseur. So can we train you up as one? You seem to get on well with the players, you know them all. And how about doing that? I was like, 100%, I'm not going to turn that down. So they sent me off down to Cardiff. I did a, it was about a year-long course down in Cardiff. And the rest is, the rest is history. Like, worked there, ever, worked there ever since until three years ago. So what was that like then going into that environment? I know you you knew all these people, but was that something still really different to you that you were in there with, uh, you know, Ferguson? You know what? It, it was weird because for, for Joe Bloggs, going in there, it'd be like, wow, this is Man United. But I, I've been to Christmas parties with these lads. I'd, 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 like I say, Sir Alex was at my house on the first day when I walked in there and 
what straight face to face with Sir Alex. He asked me how my mum was, and it wasn't even like what are you doing. It was just like a normal chat, you know. And it was just like I just fit straight in and, and just got on with it. And it was, and the lads just accepted me, and it was, it was a dream, really. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, that's what has always seemed to be. Like, who's the receptionist? She's been there literally every single Kath. time I was there. Kath. Yeah, Kath's been there about 60 years now. She's just got a special award by the... Uh, I don't know if it was the managers or, managers or the, the Premier League or someone. She's got a really big award down in London about three months ago, Kath, because she's been there since she was, like, 16 or 17. and She's, she's about 80 now, Kath. <laughs> she's been there years. It is mental. I mean, but it, the club really does seem to have that family feel. It, it certainly does it did, with that. Now. It did do. It did. I, I'll be honest with you. It did have that family feel for a long, long time. Um, uh, it, it there was a there was a big, big change when Sir Alex left, and, and many people put it down to Sir Alex, but I, I think it was a lot down to David Gill, and and it was a big family club, and uh, you like. He promoted that and was happy for for that all the time, but it then started becoming a business, and money was like, and the Glazers had been there five or six years by then, but then it was like, I think the Glazers saw it as the main man's took his, he's gone and he can't have his finger on the pulse anymore, so we can start really start to do what we want. And I have I've got no problems with the Glazers; they take money out of the club because that's what they bought it for. It's an investment for them, but it it. It very soon became um, very human resources um, led, um, very marketing led, um, and it quickly stopped being becoming a, in my eyes stopped becoming a football club. Was that something that you could you you actively could see that progressively oh, happening? What, or? Yeah, I could see it happening. Yeah, you could see it happening. Just little things like um, I mean, not as if not, not as if we can I swear? No, I'm not going to swear. I don't have to swear. Not, not as if we. Um, I can't think of the words without swearing. <laughs> you can do, it's fine by me. <laughs> Not that we took the piss, but things like your minibar in your hotel when you went away, all of a sudden, one day, that was it, empty. There was nothing in it. It's because they didn't want you to take that Coke out of the fridge because it cost the club money, or that Snicker because it cost the club money. So they just emptied the minibar so no one could have a, a snack. Little things like that, which in the grand scheme of things aren't massive, but Obviously, if you if you've got fifty travelling staff and you're taking them out of everyone's room and no one's having it, you save you must be saving yourself a few, like a few, little bit of money here and there, and that's that's the way they worked, and it was all it just became all about money. And if you weren't a player, you you weren't getting any of it <laughs> because it was all going to the players, everything that could do. Yeah, that's that's bizarre, isn't it? So is that standard it across the board, or was it like? I think that's now become standard. Like I think other clubs do it now. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think if you, if you speak to hotel chains, they they have it as part of their remit that they have to remove everything out of every minibar before the teams come in. Yeah, yeah, it does kind I, of take out the personal nature of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying everyone does it, but like Man United did. Yeah, and it was it was a, uh, there must have been someone at the top saying, "Well, hang on, why are we paying for him to have a coke at twelve o'clock at night?" When, yeah, that's what it was, wasn't it? it was what it was. So in terms of that, you've got into United around about like the early sort of noughties period, which was, yeah. in my opinion, I absolutely loved that era. It was just amazing. Yeah, I did too, yeah. What was that like then? Because you're going in, you've got like Man U, probably the biggest club in the world around that time, just won the European Cup. Like, What, what was that like, like around 
like you said, how low key it was to some extent, but you've obviously got some of the biggest stars in the world, literally. Yeah, I mean, the dressing room then. I mean, it was it was nothing like what it is now, as in the actual size of the dressing room. It was a small room, and you had the, the, the lads were virtually on top of each other. Plus, we had trying to fit two massage beds in there as well, um, oh, a physio bed and a massage bed, and it was it, it was mad. But like the, the camaraderie back then was brilliant. Honestly, it was brilliant. Um, there was, I mean, you've got so many loud people in there. Gary Neville, for one, you know, he, he, you couldn't shut Gary up, but he was brilliant for a dressing room, absolutely brilliant. And his and his brother was in a different way as well, because he, but like you have like um, Keeney was a strong voice, and, and but funny, and at times Keeney was hilarious, you know. And him and Nicky Nicky Butt used to bounce off each other. Bex used to be the brunt of a few jokes. Phil Neville used to be the brunt of a few jokes. But like it was a good, good dressing room. Um, and back then, there was probably only about, I would say, about 17, 18 players in there. And then you'd have the, the likes of, you know, Wes Brown coming in and out because and, he was still part of the kids' setup, you know. He was still young, Wes. Yeah, but they were, they, were, they, were a, they were a great, great bunch of lads. And the team, the team what do I say then? I want to say teamwork, but like the, 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 the team spirit was fantastic and they promoted it as much as they could. And I'm not saying a drinking club or a drinking culture anytime, but, you know, if they could go out for a drink at Christmas, they would do that and they would do it as a team and everyone would, would be included. And that changed massively over the years. You'd find the foreigners come in, the, 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 the English mentality of, let's go to the pub and have a few drinks. They didn't get that. So they, they, that would sort of change the way team spirit was. Um, and uh, once that core of English players sort of like left the dressing room, you'd lose that. You, 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 you go on and you, the lads are going a night out and oh, where's the Spanish lads? Oh, seven are missing, you know, they're not here, not coming. And the, so that togetherness was never really the same, which showed on the pitch in the end. Once Alex mm. left and also Alex left and it showed on the pitch. We had times when we had little, little bits of, um, of, of, of winning, but there's nothing been consistent since. So you had, there was that summer around about that. Was it, I think it might have been 01 or 02 when uh, Van Nistelrooy and uh, Veron came in that same summer. Yes. And it yeah. was like two, I mean, Veron was a, one of the biggest stars in Massive. the world. And, but Van Nistelrooy, I mean, I know he didn't, he didn't actually win that much in that period, but he was unbelievable from what, like, from... He was a brilliant what, finisher. He was an unbelievable finisher. Veron was just, oh, he was magic. Um, I, I, I wish Veron had stayed for 10 years because he was just brilliant to work with. Proper Argentinian lunatic, you know what I mean? But just great fun to have around. Um, and Rude, there was, I don't think I ever saw a better finisher at the club than Rude. His finishing was just phenomenal. She was just so focused on it. What, how did they integrate those those two players? You've got, again, two massive stars coming in. Are they straight into it or do they sort of take a bit of time? No, they, I mean, I think that was a good thing about Man United. The, not, just the, not just the players, but the the team around the players. So the close net, you know, the masseurs, the, the, uh, the rest of the medical team, the kit men, you know, you made everyone feel welcome as quick as you could, so they could be they could be part of it. And I think Sir Alex got that and realised how important that was, and left us just to do that. And that's why he, he always appreciated us, Sir Alex. And, and, and as a team, we always we always tried our hardest to to integrate them as quick as we could and get them part of the setup and basically pandered to their every need just so they were happy, you know. 
But we were good at that. As a team, we were very good at that. Yeah, and then at the same time, you had Ronaldo coming in. Oh, he's a bit later, wasn't he, Ronaldo? But, like, what, again, was he similar sort of thing? So, Cristiano's, I think his, his initial problem was he had zero English in him. Zero. Didn't understand a single word. And obviously, that's changed over the years. But that was a big, that was a stumbling block. See, Veron didn't have brilliant English, but a little bit broken, but he got through, you know. Um, but whereas Cristiano, no one could really help. Plus, he was Portuguese, and at the time, the only person that could speak in Portuguese to him would would have been Carlos Queiroz, because everyone else is either Spanish speaking, they can sort of get by, or, or most were English. So he he had to get over that stumbling block first. But he was quick, he was quite quick to do that. And once he'd done that, and he was telling everyone he was going to be the best in the world, and then went and proved it, didn't he? Went and proved it. And then from your like your role that you go in there, I can imagine like if you're doing a massage or so on, doing doing work with the players, you're going to be with them regularly. You're giving them constant treatments. I'm sure you develop like a like close rapport with them as well. How do you manage that from being you're part of the medical team, but also you're developing probably really strong relationships with the players? Yeah, I mean, listen, I was. If you think about it, in 2000, I was only 23. So we signed in 2001, Rude Van Nistelrooy, and he's like a year older than me or two years old, whatever he was at the time. So you're on the massage bed, you get to know each other, you get talking, you end up on the training pitch, knocking balls about. You have so much in common. You do end up being becoming close with people. You do. It's, it's human nature. But then all the time in the back of your mind, you've got the older staff and the older, well, you shouldn't become play, friends with the players, like Sir Alex doesn't like it, blah, blah, blah. But it's natural that you're gonna you, like, and you, there's obviously they want that boundary. But I, I always thought that you know what, I, being so close to some of them, I'd find out things that they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know up top, and that could that could help to set up, you know, maybe little niggles here or there that the players got they don't want to speak about because you don't want to be dropped and things like that or left off the pitch. And I would, and uh, the one thing, uh, great thing about Rob Swire. He always knew that, and he always knew what I brought up to the setup as a head physio. And he always he just said, just keep doing what you're doing. And he was always very complimentary about it. And I always liked Rob for that. He always said, No, I, I always said, I know what you've been to the setup. So just keep doing what you're doing. Forget everyone else, forget what they think. So, yeah, there was times when I was close with players, and yeah, I did go out and have meals and parties with them. Um, and maybe I did cross that line, that un, you know, that so called line that staff shouldn't mix with players. but I didn't see why not, and it's, it didn't really do me any harm over the years. And was that something that Rob was, he was as the head of the medical team, if, that, if that's what his role was at that time, is that something that he was pretty much given autonomy over? So if you had his, if he had your back, he should be pretty yeah, much coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you had to toe the line somewhere, and, and, and you can't misbehave, and be, I'd definitely not misbehave with players, but um, yeah, he, he, he knew, he knew what, how valuable I would say he knew how valuable I was to the setup, so just let me do what I wanted to what I, what I wanted to do really. Mm, yeah, and then you mentioned that you you went on to work with England. How did that come about? Just by chance, um, David Beckham rings me. I remember I remember it well. I was away on holiday in Malta, and uh, I, got, I was I was actually with Gary Neville because at the time Gary was dating my sister, and um, David Beckham rang him. I said, put Rod on the phone, and he said, ah, mate, he said, um, how do you fancy doing the England job? 
Oh, what do you mean? He went, well, the England masseurs just left because Viales took him to Watford as his general manager and we need a masseur. Do, do you fancy it? And this was literally a year after I'd been at United. So I was like, I'm not going to say no, am I? And that was just, wow. Now that was brilliant going away with England. Very, very good. So what was your first trip away for that? My first trip was, funnily enough, Holland at White Hart Lane. And we'd just signed Ruud van Nistelrooy. He'd scored in the game. I think they beat us 2-1. I got, from that from my first game, I got Andy Cole's shirt. The old England squad signed it. And after the game, Ruud van Nistelrooy is shouting into our dressing room, where's Rod, where's Rod? So he's just scored against the England team. He comes into our dressing room to give me his shirt for that game. And then obviously later on, I got him to sign it. You know? So yeah, that was, that's my first ever England game. I've got it in a frame somewhere, but... I dropped it in transit a few a few months back and smashed it, so I need to reframe the whole bloody thing again. <laughs> Did you get a bit of stick for him coming in and giving you that shirt? Um, yeah, maybe. I can't remember, you know, I can't remember. But the set, my second game was the Germany 5-1 game. So I was all right then. I was like, once we got that out of the way, I was fine then. Yeah, it was good. But going away with England was a, a brilliant experience. Going away with United, United is a fantastic experience. I mean, you go away with United, it's red carpet treatment. But you go away with England, it's another level, another level. So what was it like again? And that is probably my favourite England era as well around that. Like, you had that team then. Well, we should have absolutely... won. We should have won things. I mean, 2004, we we had a um, a player in the squad who at the time was, I, I, I believe, was the best player in the world. Because at that time, he was 18 years old, completely fearless, didn't have a care in the world about what went on around him and just wanted to play street football and he single-handedly beat teams up on his own um obviously Wayne Rooney he breaks his foot we don't we don't go through the through the to the semi-final or the final um 2006 again Wayne gets sent off don't go through 2008 we should have qualified didn't qualify 2010 we still had a strong team then and had just a terrible terrible tournament um, and they can use any excuse they want. I mean, Capello t- took a lot of the blame for it, but it just it just didn't play well enough. Simple as that. But 2004-2006, I thought we 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 had we were probably the strongest team in both tournaments. Yeah, yeah, that Germany one was disappointing, wasn't it? With, yeah. with the team, the team that was out there then. So like, again, there's a lot of talk around, and even the players talk about it a lot in terms of like the the group of players. Did they fit together, or because they were battling so much in the Premier League, did that? But was there any sort of not bad atmosphere? But could you sense a different togetherness? You know, when I first went away with England, I saw something straight away that I thought, oh, that's not quite right. But I was too young, and I was never going to comment on it. And it was Gary Neville would have would have Bex. Bex was now by, by now the captain of England. He would have Bex, he would have Phil Neville, he'd have Butty, he'd have it, 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 all the United lads. There'd be seven or eight, colleagues, Teddy. And let's say a mealtime was one o'clock. He'd have them there at 10 to one. So they've at first and, and, and then gone before anyone else gets in there. Gary tried to segregate them from everything else. And I just thought, well, why can't you just mix? Because like, it creates, that will create an atmosphere going forward. And, I think he did a little for, for a little bit, but then once um, once Sven left and things things changed and Capello came in and everyone had together and you, people mixed better, people mixed better. But I was good for 
I was good for getting people to mix. And Wayne was fantastic. Wayne could just bounce around a, a room and, and just mix everyone together brilliantly and could knit, knit a dressing room. And that's what Wayne did for, well, I mean, I, I worked with him for 14 years and that's what he did his whole career. Yes, yeah, so what was it like then? Because he was, I'm an Everton fan, so I remember that that vividly in terms of him going over there. But when he when he came into, because he came into United right after the 2004, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did with his uh, with his broken foot. Um, I mean, I was, <laughs> I wonder if I can tell this. I'm going to tell anyone. I don't care. So I was, um, if you'd have seen his uh, his Rooney film recently, I'm in it all the way through because me and him we're very very close. We still are now. I was on the phone and. Yesterday, about we played last night at DC United. Um, anyway, we were we were playing a lot of in between massages. We were playing a lot of uh, I think it was Pro Evolution or FIFA or something like that um, down in the in the in the during the tournament in in Portugal. And he said to me one day, he went, "What do you call your gaffer?" I went, "I call him Boss." He went, "No, no, but if you didn't know him, if you didn't work for him, what would you call him?" I said, "You call him Sir Alex." I went, "Why?" He went, well, he wants to speak to me, but I've got to ring him. I went, right, okay, listen. I was saying, no, what's going on here? I said, call him Sir Alex. Just say, hi, Sir Alex, it's Wayne. And then get on with your conversation. He went, right, right, we'll do, we'll do. Anyway, he dials his phone, rings him. <laughs> and he goes, hi, Alex, it's Wayne. <laughs> and I was like, what just say, Sir Alex, mate? Honestly, and he couldn't even do it. And then they had the comp, whatever they talked about, and then two months later he'd sign for us. But that was that was right in the middle of the tournament in 2004, that, yeah. So was that something that he was doing that was, like, intentional, that he was trying to sort of be, you know, or, or was he, did he just, like, get it wrong? No, just got it wrong. Just, uh, that's, he's, he's not intentional at all. Like, he's, he's just, he's just strange like that, you know. <laughs> he's a funny kid, he's a funny kid. That documentary was class. I've watched it twice now. But I just because again, it's footballers. You get they get perceived in different ways all the time. But he came across really, really well. And um, I'm friends with John Hartley, who's um, was physio at Derby, and he just can't speak highly enough about how good Rooney was when he was there. Yeah, hey, I love the guy, John. I went down. I went down into Derby. I had a chat with John because um, Wayne said to me, "I'd like I wasn't doing anything." He said, "What? He's coming in. I'll have a look, have a look around, see what it's all about." So I went down and I had a chat with John. Nice guy. And yeah, he, he 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 is perceived so badly. He really is perceived so badly. And he's not helped himself in that, don't get me wrong, over the years. But he's he, he's a great lad. He's an absolutely fantastic lad. And I can't sing high, high praise enough of him. He should be revered in this country for what he did for England. And he's not. He should be revered for what he did for Man United. He is by Man United fans, but... He's not as well recognised by the rest of the country for it. And it, it, I think it's poor. Um, I, I think he's a, he is the only player of the past 20 years who should have given Rooney and Ronaldo a run for their... Um, not Rooney and Ronaldo. Messi and Ronaldo a run for their money for Ballon d'Or when they were dominating it. Um, but he didn't. And I, I, I'll say it, it's probably because of his off-the-field antics. He, he does like a drink and he does like to enjoy himself. And he's not... A, he's not he was never a gym person and going, you know, getting a six pack and all that sort of stuff. He just wanted to play football and then just go home. That's all he ever wanted to do. Have a game of golf, have a pint. That's the, he was, he was an old school footballer, really. He wasn't hell bent on, 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 on doing the finer things to make himself better and better. 
Which any any uh, 2004, we all know he was world class. He was the best player at that tournament. Ronaldo, yeah. Ronaldo got to the final and he, he was revered for it. Yeah, well, we, when he was 16, he was just dominating physically and and just, well, technically as well. Yeah, he was, he was absolutely remarkable in terms of that. But then when players would come through in general at United, could you tell, I suppose you'd only been at United, but could you see psychologically something that they had or was it the collective that was more important? than? So the difficult thing with with what I was doing was, Back then as well, um, not so, the later stages, I was more on the training pitch every day because I would go out there. I enjoyed going out there. But back then, the early 2000s, I didn't really go out to the training pitch that much. Um, so you couldn't really see the younger kids that were coming through joining in with the first teamers. Um, you didn't see it happen that much. So you, And you definitely didn't see them in the dressing room. So you couldn't really get to, 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 to see how these kids worked and how they spoke and because you didn't really interact with them that much because they were in a different dressing room and you didn't really see them on the pitch. But towards the last stages, probably 2010 and 11 onwards, I was going out to, to the training pitch quite a lot, uh, quite often and you get to talk to them and you, you can see which ones, they know what they're talking about and they know what they're doing and you get to mix with them a little bit. And you do you do pick up on certain traits in, in the players that you think, aye, aye, he's got a chance in. I mean, I'll never forget Marcus Rashford under Louis van Gaal. I was stood next to Giggsy. Giggsy was one of his coaches at the time. And, and I was stood next to Giggsy and Marcus picked the ball up on the right-hand side and just beat three international players, bang, like that, within about 10, 15 yards. And I just looked at Giggsy and went, wow. And he went, Rod, I know. I said, get him in the team, Giggsy. He's like, I'm pushing for it. <laughs> and literally, by chance, a week later, he started and got his two goals. And, and then the Arsenal game got his two goals then as well. So is that something like do they but do they have like players like Rashford and the youth thing at United has always been massive? But is there a lot of talk of what point does that normally start? Does it start from like a very young age of like 14, 15? Does it, it, does, you know, it does start really young. The 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 definitely under Sir Alex, um, but you know the like Ollie would have known, Louis van Gaal would have known of a of a fourteen year old or fifteen year old coming through that we need to keep eye on this kid because he's got something. You know they all know. They all know the coaches all talk. Um, like Michael Carrick would have known when he was there as the assistant, like he would have known of good players coming through. You know, the likes of Ilanga now that have come through and players like that, they, they'd have known about these kids and they've, they're going to have a big chance. And obviously, to mix from youth to men's football is not easy, but some do it better than others. And um, and I, I know that Giggsy's, Giggsy especially was always a fan of like if you if you're good enough you're old enough, you know. So it's, it's up on the walls at, at Carrington somewhere. I think it's a Matt, Matt, Matt Busby saying, but yeah, there was there was there was if you oh, if you've been at the club a while, you wanted to push for those younger players to come through. Yeah, there was a few like Ravel Morrison and Pogba and so on. Well, Pogba left for different reasons, yeah. I think. But like they were, because even like us in I was living in Manchester as well at the time, you'd hear the talk about them, but you know potential issues of like Ravel Morrison or whatever. Yeah. But was that something that was? Would they be? With like the the medical team and the team thinking, oh yeah, right, these players are going to go in, or would you sort of see maybe other issues as to why that that may not happen? Um, I mean, 
Ravel, Ravel was the, the anomaly because he was he was just the best player I ever saw at Man United. He, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal footballer at a young age. Far too intelligent for the rest of the players on the pitch and it used to frustrate him. Um, but we, 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 wouldn't, we just had to deal with who came our way as a medical team. You know, you get told, okay, there's a 17-year-old kid coming in that he needs this or whatever, and you just deal with it. It was it was that simple. It was that it was wasn't anything. It wasn't team medical team meetings about oh we've got this protege coming through. We need to do this. It was just get on with it. Get on with it. Simple as that. So there's nothing special given to him in in that that sense of the word. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember I remember coming off the. I think. It was about, I can't remember what year it was, 2003, 4, 5. Rio, Rio said to him, Rod, Rod, you need to come and see this kid over here. And, and he was on the reserves. The reserves had a game and Ravel was playing for him. And he was just, he was so small, but just so skillful and so quality. I actually played Ravel two weeks ago. I'm still, I still try and play as much as I can, like eight, nine, seven, eight, nine side, whatever, whatever side. So Ravel played in the game a couple of weeks ago with likes of like Phil Bardsley and um, Danny Drinkwater played as well. So, uh, Cass stayed in touch with Ravel. He's just gone out to DC United. We was now. Oh, right. Nice. Where, where's that match then? Where does that happen? Not that I'm going to turn up. But... <laughs> we play at a place called South Manchester on a, on a Tuesday night. Um, we do, do a good nine-a-side game. There's some good players in it. Like I say, Phil, Drinky, Eric Peters, who's, who was at Stoke and uh, Burnley. He's playing now in it. I mean, you've had it over, like, people like Johnny Lescott have played in it. Um, Anua. Uh, so yeah, so some some very good. It's a good standard, but I'm getting. I mean, I'm 45 tomorrow actually, and uh, it's very. It, it's getting harder and harder. I actually, I played 11 side game yesterday, um, for just an open age Sunday team, and they were all like 20, 18, 19, 20 year olds with the team, and I bust my hamstring in the first 10 minutes, didn't I? So now I'm out for two weeks, killing me. Should have the game on it now. I'm not gonna lie. Well, you did play a decent standard as well, didn't you? Whilst whilst you were doing yeah, this, yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, for, so for the first for the first sort of like ten years under Sir Alex, he allowed me to go and play Saturday football um, for Altrincham. So I was like conference relegated a couple of times. So conference, conference north sort of level for for a good eight, nine, ten years. Um, yeah, and he allowed that Sir Alex. So I didn't really travel with the team until about two thousand. The occasional Champions League away game, but. 2010, 11, I started travelling with the team. Yeah. Did you feel like you were missing out on that then? Was that something that you felt bad you about? What? Early doors, they said to me, we want you to start travelling with the team. Um, but I was getting paid quite decent money at United, and, not United, um, at Altrincham, and man, you were never prepared to, to uh, what's the word, reimburse me for that if I was to travel. And the other thing was, I know me, <laughs> I'd have got bored doing the same old routine, going traveling to a different, a new, the uh, same old stadium, same old hotel, season in, season out. I'd have got bored doing it, which in fact happened when I said once I started traveling everywhere. By six years of six, six or seven years of that, as I know it was Man United and it was brilliant, but in the end, it's just another bus, another plane, another hotel room, and another, another stadium, and yet you. Yes, you're going to different countries and you're traveling all over the world, but only really in pre-season do you get time to actually appreciate where you are and what you're doing. Other than that, it's just head down work, head down work, head down work. You know, and it, it, 
Uh, we've we've talked. I've talked about this so much with with people after you leave the game. It's like um, uh, the best way I can describe working in football, especially at that top level. It's like a glorified army because you, you you're told when to you to, you you train every single day, seven days a week generally. Uh, you, you're told when you can eat. You know, you're told when you got to go to sleep. It, it's it, and you come out of it and you think, oh my god. This is what weekends are, you know. <laughs> I didn't know you could do this at a weekend, you know. And you just—it's—it's it's like it's weird how the feeling you come out of being working in in the game for so many, so many years. And a little bit of regret came in it for me because as, as much as I loved it, like I just think I'd rather have my own time than than I've, I've done so many years. At it. Yeah, a few years have been good, but so many years. But listen, I I loved I loved the majority of my time working for Man United and for England. And that I would never give, change it for the world. Never change it for the world. Mm, well, that's good if you can feel like you actually you don't you don't miss it, as in you don't miss that whole intensity. No, I don't. I, I really don't. I really don't. Um, I, it, it, I tell you, it, it was difficult. The first sort of year that came out of it was very difficult um, because you are institutionalised. You really are, and like you think, oh my god, and you sort of get why footballers come out of, of football and, and there's this, this massive divorce rate and there's this this huge bankruptcy problem that footballers find themselves in and you sort of understand it because um, you're like, oh, what should we do now? But at least I could carry on doing what I was doing um, a little bit privately just to keep money coming in, you know. And But I can understand why why footballers have their problems when they leave the game. Because it is, you, 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 you're not out of prison, I say, but you've institutionalised. This is all you know. Seven days a week of work, 11 months a year, 12 if you're working for your national team as well. And you, you just, it's just non-stop. You just, all you know is work. It's difficult. Yeah, it's interesting. Like when I was in the United a few times, probably in that era, but going into different clubs, and you would see that the players were always, at United in particular, were very inquisitive about us, the new bit of equipment I'd brought in. I remember Rio coming over and like really grilling me on something. Like he, he, he wasn't having it. He wasn't having what I was saying. He was like really putting me under pressure. Um, <laughs> like I remember Phil know. Neville ripping me when I was at Everton. I went in there and he was like, oh, that machine's crap, mate, in front of like the... Um, the, the physio there and I could sort of do and he was sort of looking like trying to trying to rip me but you could sort of tell that they were genuinely again they, they think they were sort of almost pleased to see external people as well yeah no yeah so something different something different happening outside coming into the fishbowl you know it, it, that's what it was it, you were literally in your own bubble with these people that are, are your world and you're with these people more than you're with your family you literally are with these people and you're traveling all over the world with them. And like I say, especially if like the likes of Rio, Wayne, um, the English lads, you know, with me, I wasn't just with Man United. Every time we go away with England, I'd be with him as well. So I was literally spending in, in a year of 365 days with Wayne, especially maybe 330, 340 days with him. You know what I mean? And every single day. And he, he, <laughs> I'd have a little bit of downtime when I'm away with England or where United, and you'll get like an hour or two to just go to your room and chill. You come knocking on my door and just want to come in my room and sit there. Just have enough of me. God damn it, will you? And that's the way it was. You just, you just, uh, everything was just so intense and such, you just don't stop. You just don't stop working. And did that ever cause any like friction or fallings out? 
there's always little things that went on over the like nothing ever lasted really, but yeah, yeah, the little scuffle on the training pitch or when things were, things weren't quite right off the pitch. No, when things weren't quite right on the pitch, as in results weren't going away, you get the little moans and little groans and people complaining about stuff. But no, there was never any real real serious problems. And then, so when you were saying you go out on the training pitch, were you getting involved in the training then? So under Sir Alex, not so much. Um, I, I joined. I joined in a couple of times over the years, um, with Louis Van Gaal. Louis, I he used to have me setting and doing some some of the the work around the pitch. Um, but with Jose, Jose had me joining in quite often actually. I'm like, God, I'm, this we're talking like five years ago when I'm still joining in Man United's training sessions, uh, blowing out my backside. But yeah, Jose would have me crossing balls and and joining in properly the training sessions. Jo- uh, Jose took a shine to me when he first came to the club, and he liked the way I w- was around the place, and he, he he wanted me on the training pitch every day. Mm, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Then that they've got each got the different way of doing things. Yeah. Well, yeah. did you did you like have any with any particular ones that you enjoyed like being involved in more like regimes? Well, obviously, I've just mentioned Jose. Then uh, he made me. He made me feel brilliant when I worked with him. He made and hey, listen, he had his problems at Man United, and he made a lot of players feel terrible. But when I worked with him, especially the first year, Jose made me made me feel cloud nine. There's no one better manager in the world ever than Sir Alex, and he was a brilliant person to work for. But I thoroughly enjoyed working for Jose. Louis Van Gaal was a um, a gentleman, um, an honest man, um, and. He he was a, a a human, and he was very nice. He was a very nice guy to work for, um, stuck in his ways, and was hard work at times. But he was a nice guy, um, and I, I got on with David Moyes as well. He was a nice fella. Um, just he just came in at the wrong time for me. Came in at the wrong time, probably maybe for him as well. With Sir Alex's legacy just round behind him, but they were all they were all everyone I worked with was were decent people. With decent people, I enjoyed working for all each of them in their own different ways. And do you think it helped your football career, like being around like the United players? And uh, no, not really, not really. I, I'd, I'd sort of, I think I moved to to Old Tringham in two thousand one, and that was a year after I'd been at United. But it had nothing to do with me being at United, just because I'd been scoring a lot of goals for my team that I was playing for Congleton Town earlier and. Went to Alton and stayed there for the next eight or nine years, and that was that was just because I, I stayed there on my own merit. And it didn't uh, being on the training pitch with them it wasn't that often in those days. You know, the mid two thousands, it wasn't that often. Um, so no, it didn't really affect it. I I knew my own ability on the on the football pitch. Um, I knew my strengths, I knew my weaknesses, and that's why I played at that level and not really much any higher. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then for the I think the the one that had probably the most attention from an England perspective, from my perspective, was the um, two thousand and six in Germany. You know, like with the Baden Baden, where you where you're staying over there? Because I, I went to Germany for that one. We went to Baden Baden, and we went to what was the the, the Gary Baldies? I think was the the club that everyone went to there. But we never left the hotel. Well, no, I was good. That's what I was going to ask you because we did see some of the stuff. Uh, yeah. Like some of the, the 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 entourage there and so on, but from you guys, could you do you know what was going on from inside the camp? We knew what was going on. 
Yeah, you couldn't avoid the papers. We knew what was going on. And no, and there was there was a conversation had amongst the team. Say, come on. And like Gary Neville was was beaming on it, like this can't happen. Like you've got to tell your wives to calm down here because this is making us all look stupid. And then the next day, I mean, God rest his soul, but Gary Neville's dad, Neville Neville's on the dance on a on a table dancing. <laughs> and he just he just sat the whole England team down, Gary, and told him this is you've got to tell your wives to stop it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, we knew what was going on. We knew exactly what was going on. And what 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 Sven did there brilliantly. Um, they were we were at the top of a mountain where our hotel was in top uh, up above Baden Baden, and the the families were all down in Baden Baden. And what we'd do is we'd the night after every game, we'd fly we'd bring them all up the mountain into the hotel, and we'd have like a big meal and buffet and like we'd watch a game together because obviously the World Cup's games every single night and just so the families could be together and the players could see the wives or the kids or whatever. So we do that. And he was good at that, Sven, very good at that. Because he knew that a lot of a lot of players get really, really uh, um, homesick and miss the kids. So that, that was good. That was a good aspect of Sven's work. He was a good mm. manager. Yeah, Sven, Sven was, he, he was, he was a good man manager as well, was he? Yeah, yeah, very good. Very good. I think his whole ethos was just make sure the players are happy. That's all. That's all he was about. Just keep, and I, I think from what I can gather, he's quite like Angelotti. He's quite similar. Just make sure the players are happy. Yeah, and then in terms of that, you must have had like it's hard to pick any sort of number of great experiences. But are there any ones that particularly stand out as a memorable, whether it was Man U or England? In what regard? Just, just like you, just stick stick out and just think, wow, this is like unbelievable that experience for you. I mean, yeah, obviously the 2008 Champions League final was an experience. It was an amazing experience. I mean, I got loads. I mean, I was in the dressing room in 2003 when we were playing in, in Lisbon and we've watched Ronaldo absolutely tear us apart first half. And the talks start there and then in the dressing room. We're in like a side dressing room off, off the players' dressing room and in comes David Gill, in comes some of their people from Sporting Lisbon. So Alex is there and they're talking, we want this boy, we want to take him, we want him now. Let's do a deal now, now, now. This was at half time, and this carried on again after the game. So like that, that you never forget. Things like that you never forget. Um, and on that note, then was he on the radar? Was he like? Did, yeah, did he... I think, I think, I think he was. Because I remember uh, that summer there'd been like a, um, like an, an under 19s or under 18s, like Euros or something like that. And I'm, I'm one of them people. I love my football. I watched it, and I remember on the plane over in America. To, we was on tour in America and I'd said to Sir Alex one of the days, oh, they've got two two lads at, at Sporting Lisbon. I hope they play against them because they were brilliant in the summer. And, he, and the boss was like, hey, what, what are the names? And I, and I said, oh, one's called Charisma and the other one's called Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. And he, he was like, yeah, we, we know of the boys, we know of the boys. And that was all he said, really. And then they did what they did. That was it. Mm. I remember that was Ricardo Charisma, wasn't it? He was... Charisma, yeah. He used to sign him on Championship Manager. I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, I did as well, yeah. All those years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so mentioned a couple of those ones. And then so in terms of what what was that 08 final like then? Oh, 08 final. It was wet. It was late. It was it was just a... I, you know what? I've always said in, in football, there's obviously a massive amount of ability for players and, and, and work rate. 
but luck comes into it massively. I say it to Wayne Rooney a lot. I mean, yes, his, his goal against Ever- uh, for Everton against David Seaman, but the luck of that timing to be just 16 years old and do that and break into Premier League. There's luck involved in that. I'm sorry, but there's luck involved. The over kick, he's not come off his foot, he's come off his shin, going in the top corner. There's luck involved in that. But there's a lot of luck in things now. The John Terry slipping that penalty shootout on that night won us that Champions League final. There's no, no two ways about it. I actually sent I actually sent John a picture of that trophy that night with me holding it. <laughs> he never forgot it. Never forgot it. He always because he's about two years later they won the league against us and he sent me a picture of him holding the trophy. I was like, all right, fair enough. Because we got on dead well, me and John, when we was away with England, got on really well. And Frank as well. We we were the three of us were, we got on dead well. And that yeah, those two as characters then, because the again, absolutely legendary players. But could you see that their similar sort of characteristics that you'd see with the the other like legendary United players? Uh, yeah, I could. They were winners. The pair of them were winners. Each different personalities, completely different personalities. The pair of them, but Frank, Frank, they both knew what they wanted. They both knew exactly what they wanted. Um. Frank was more ruthless about the way he got it, um, and he was a he was a <laughs> it could be quite sharp at times. John was always dead nice, but I got on I probably got on better with Frank than I did get on with John. But like John was just a, just a lovely guy. Um, Frank was a was a straight to the point talking person, but he was a nice guy, and I got on really well with him. But both both good guys, um, both absolute legends at what they did in their careers. Yeah, I'm surprised. Like some people might be surprised. I'm probably surprised to hear you say about John Terry because he has got this reputation as well, hasn't he? Of maybe not being like a, a great guy, but he's honestly. You meet John Terry, he blows you away. He, honestly, I met I met someone recently who'd met him for the first time ever, and they were like, "Oh my god, what a nice bloke he is!" Blah blah blah. And he really is. He re- he really is a nice bloke. Um, so endearing. I mean, I've worked with him a couple of times recently on Soccer Aid. Turned for the soccer, not like not this year, but the two years before. Never changes. Just a lovely bloke. Mm. Yeah, but well, I'll tell you, one thing with John Terry does stand out. 2010 World Cup. He had a new pair of boots for every training session in every game, and each half of every game. So the kit room in, the, in our training camp in um, in South South Africa was just full of John Terry boots. Just John Terry boots everywhere. Brand new pairs for everything. Why was that? I don't know. Probably because he could. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then in terms of England, then so any particular ones that stick out for that? I mean, you mentioned the five-one earlier on. That must um, be yeah, I mean, the five-one was probably the the, the, the greatest or the most famous game I was involved with with England, because um, we did. I mean, we had some good we had some good wins in World Cups, but the five-one was probably the biggest the biggest game I was involved with. Yeah, was there anything slightly tainted by the fact they were all Liverpool players? Uh no, it was weird actually because me and Stephen, when I first started, it, we sort of built up a little rapport. And I remember the day of the game, the, he said to me, "Oh Rod, I'm not going to have a sleep this afternoon. Can I come and have a massage you and have a chat and stuff? And we'll have a coffee afterwards." That was the day of the game, and I thought it's my second game, and this is a scouser. He's supposed to hate Manx. Knows I'm at United, and but I, I fair play to him. And we did, and we had a, I gave him a massage, and then we, we sat and had a drink in the afternoon. I think he's someone from his family came over to the hotel as well. 
and then he went and did what he did that night. Scored from about 422 yards, didn't he? And that was the I know that there were some kickoffs around who were who was representing England as well as going back to like your case, Man United. Yeah, like Gary yeah. Lewin was was obviously from Arsenal at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but was yeah. that was that ever? Did you ever sort of bear, bear to hear any sort of resentment or anything like that for you? I, no, I didn't. Listen, we, we we wouldn't use the information we got away with England. So so Alex would never turn to me and say, "Oh, is he injured or is he fit?" He would never do that. He would never compromise me like that. Um, he just so Alex said to me when I first got asked to do the England job, um, he pulled me into his office and he said, "I'm going to allow you to do it." But the second I don't want you to do it, you're stopping doing it. He said, just remember that. I was like, okay, right, okay. So, and he never stopped me. He never stopped me. In the end, it was, it was a, well, it was a club decision um, back in 2014. They actually said to me, we feel there's a, like a conflict of interest here. Basically, choose one or the other. Either choose working for England or stay working for us. But we, you can't, you can't do both. And it was the, the they sort of hid behind Louis Van Gaal and said, Louis Van Gaal's just done it. He's no longer working for Holland because he's now working for us. You can't do the same thing. Um, and Tony Strudwick had just started working for the national team as well that that year. And I think that was a that was a problem to some people. Um, and I think if Tony wouldn't have come to England, I'd have been all right. But then it was only within a year or two after that that the FA then turned around and said, now we can't have any people working from, from clubs and the likes of Mark Satori at City. He had to leave. Um, I think the only one who sort of stayed on was a guy called Carl Todd, who's the, uh, the osteopath. And he does work at Chelsea, but I think he works like interim. Oh, I don't know that one. I didn't even speak to you, Alexa. <laughs> uh, um, he he just he um, wasn't full-time at Chelsea. He has his own practice and just goes in there. And, and he, he's brilliant at what he does, by the way. Carl Todd. Amazing. So yeah, no, we've we've come across him recently actually, but I've never met him. But he's he's good, is he? Lovely guy, the biggest genius I've ever come across when it comes to medical stuff. I absolutely swear by him. And if I have any real problems, um, I would recommend people to him. Oh, I, 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 for myself, I I go to him for advice. I mean, I love Gary Lewin. Um, I worked with Gary Lewin for. What fourteen years there now? The last three years at Soccer Aid as well, um, and we, me and Gary always got on brilliantly. And he knows what I was like, and I was a bit of a character around the place, but he'd love that and thrived off it. And and he just let me get on with doing what I was doing. And Gary to work for Gary was amazing, amazing. Mm, yeah, no, great guy. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely, very good guy. So then for, for like what you're doing now, then, is that something that you like, what are you, any, any sort of aspirations about what you want to do going forward? You know what, right? I, honestly, and it's taking its time. This It's like a three-year transition period now. I've still not actually decided what I'm doing or what I want to do. I do know in my head that I don't want to massage people till I'm 65, 70. Because Man United were never big payers and I, I've never built up the money to, to just go and like live my life now. So I've got to do something, but and that's all I know. But I know I don't want to do that. So I've got to. I've still got to sort of get my head on what I'm going to do. I went down the agency route a little bit. Didn't enjoy doing that for six months a year. So I, I came away. I came away from that because it's it too cutthroat and too ruthless for my liking. Um, 
I just got to, I've got to make some sort of decisions. I, I, the good thing I've got is I've got great contacts in the world of football. Um, I'm, I'm actually going through a process of doing an NFT project at the moment, um, using my contacts and some companies over in Dubai and Korea. So hopefully that one comes to fruition. That'd be nice. Yeah, definitely. So you into crypto yourself then? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, I, I, I got quite heavily into it when I came back from America. Um, sorry, after after United, I went over to I went over to work with Dave Hancock in America after United um, on his uh, on his Apollo. Um, what do you call it? Software. It's software. That's it. That's what I'm looking for. The Apollo software. So I went working with him, um, but. That was an office job, nine to five. Not not brilliant for me. Um, and I missed home, so I came home. <laughs> mm, what was that like going home? Dave's a character himself, isn't he? Dave is a character. He's hard work to work for, though. Very demanding. Very I can imagine. Oh, very demanding. I remember because I knew Dave because he came into the um, he came into the World Cup setup in 2010. And uh, I remember him vividly saying to me one day, he said, oh, my God, I could never work with you every single day. He said, you just drive me bonkers. And I ended up doing that. <laughs> well, good guy, though. Good guy. So was, he, was that in New York then? Yeah. So, well, I was based in New York. Well, I was doing three days in New York, but at the same time, I'd met a woman in Philadelphia. So I was living out of Philadelphia, but traveling up to New York. So I was staying in Dave's house in New York and then staying in Philadelphia for four days. So that was an enjoyable part of my life. Very funny. <laughs> what was that like living in America then? Because that is a massive culture shift, isn't Different, it? Everyone thinks yeah, it's, it's close, like, but it's not at all, is it? No, it's, everything's miles away. You can't just go arms looking for shops because you have to get in a car and drive 35 minutes to get there. And it, Everything's just so open, sparse. Like it, it is just a massive, massive country. And unless you're on holiday there and you're like loving New York City or you're in yeah, LA or Vegas, like... It's just, I think it's just too. I mean, there's there's no pavements. They don't want you to walk anywhere. There's no wonder everyone's dead fat over there. You just want everyone in the cars and just driving around. Crazy. Mm, yeah. No, look, Rod, I really appreciate you giving up your time today on this, and um, hope you find your what your passion is for for your next next thing. Yeah. I, 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 listen, I, I life. I've learned you've got to enjoy it simple as that so it's you've got to follow your you've got to follow your heart you obviously you've got to earn your money but you've got to just i've just learned that if you're not enjoying something don't do it like just do something else and to, that you will enjoy and that's the what's the way i'm doing at the moment mm, no definitely a good way good way to live but no again thanks again for your time really appreciate no it it's been great no problem good man thank you